Welcome to the Change Log, episode 0.1.4. I'm Adam Stakoviak. And I'm Wynn Netherland. This is the Change Log, bringing you what's fresh and new in the world of open source. Focus on the projects and people of open source. You can follow us at thechangelog.com or for a real time view, tail.thechangelog.com. Yeah. You can also check us out at GitHub, too. We, uh, we hang out on the Explore page, so github.com forward slash explore. Uh, they got some trending repos listed there, as well as some feature repos from our blog. And also all the audio podcasts from 0.1 whatever, all the way up to, to this one here. So just go ahead and go to GitHub and check it out. 14 episodes we've been on the air. Can you believe it? Yeah, it's uh, kind of like a, a dynasty, isn't it? That's right. You know, and like everybody else, it seems like we're on Twitter. Changelog Show is our handle. And me personally, I tweet at Penguin, P-E-N-G-W-Y-N-N. Yep, I'm Adam Stack pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Facebook, uh, friend feed, which was consumed by Facebook, and, and every, everywhere else. We've got a great show today. We talked with Andy Gross from Basho, the company behind Reoc, another NoSQL database entry, and Sean Cribbs, a freelance Ruby developer that's written a cool new Ruby library for Reoc that he, uh, he scooped on the show when yeah. we recorded it. And uh, we posted that to the changelog, and it went from, what's it at now? It's like at one watcher when we... We got the scoop, and I think it was up close to a hundred. I don't believe. I don't know. Probably blew up like most, uh, like like most things that get posted to the change log. It's the sh- uh, change log effect, is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Ripple is the name of the uh, the library. It's now at eighty eight watchers. So. Oh boy. Pretty hot on the GitHub. The GitHub. Cool. So Reoc, another NoSQL database entry. Um, stop me if you've heard this one before. Erlang with JavaScript, JSON with uh, a REST interface. Yeah, definitely. Sound, sounds like... Sounds like all of them. <laughs> sounds like CouchDB, uh, especially. But they assure us that the architecture is quite different. This one's uh, architected for scalability from the get-go, they tell us, with um, a masterless replication scheme where all you need to know is one node of the, uh, the replication uh, network, and you can get on and get data from any of the nodes, which is pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I was... Pondering this over the weekend, the irony that all of these NoSQL databases have JSON support in some regard, and yet in HTML5, what are we doing? We're putting SQL in the browser. Yeah, I know. I was, I was, re- was that you that tweeted something like that, or was it? Yeah, I did. Yeah. You know, what I really want is, a, is Mongo or uh, Couch or some of these other NoSQL technologies that have this rich JSON store that I can query built into my browser. Forget the SQL. You know, that's just ugly writing SQL with escape JavaScript. I really want a you know a hash database that I could just stash my JSON objects and search them right there in the browser. So go figure. We we wait all these all these all this time to finally get database into the browser, and it's nothing we want. That's right. That's right. So they also uh, started this off by scratching their own itch too. They they actually started this off much like Mongo, where they were solving their own problem and created a, a enterprise version, and then uh, led the way with uh, pushing that into open source. You know that happens a lot. You know with when he was talking about GitHub and how GitHub was a side project and they were actually working on FamSpam full-time and then figured out that what was the side project turned out to be the, the bigger play. It seems like uh, oftentimes you don't know what's going to be successful when you start it. We've got a great episode today. Should we get to it? Absolutely. All right, we're joined by Andy Gross from Basho. The company behind Reoc, the cool new database document store, and Sean Cribbs, a freelance Ruby developer. Andy, why don't you introduce yourself, uh, let the folks know um, 
a little bit about yourself and Basho. Hi, yeah, I'm uh, I'm Andy Gross. I'm the VP of Engineering at Basho Technologies. Uh, I've been working at Basho for about two years, and uh, and it's you know the best gig I've ever had. We have an awesome team. Uh, I've worked with people that I both worked with in the past, and we've been assembled uh, recently. Uh, an awesome group uh, that's growing uh, by the day, and uh, we are—we both produce the React open source project and offer support and an enterprise version uh, of the same for uh, for the market. So we're uh, we're uh, trying to just drive this NoSQL thing uh, as hard as we can. For the folks that don't know, uh, what about uh, React and? It's entry into the NoSQL space. So how'd that come about, and a little bit about the project before we introduce Sean? It's a it's a really interesting story. Um, the we started off actually as a company that was actually producing uh, uh, writing web apps, and going into it, we said uh, we were going to plan for success. And one thing that a number of us have been burned by at previous startups is tying ourselves to a relational database and then having to change. Uh, that architecture at the worst possible time, which is when you start to get popular. So one of the things we said going in and, and we had, it was awesome that we had buy-in from, uh, you know, the other founders too, uh, that we were going to write our own data persistence layer, which is, uh, you know, it could be relative, it can be seen as relatively controversial. So initially REAC uh, was an internal, just an internal Basho product that we used to power our applications. Um, and it wasn't till, until uh, August of 2009 that we, uh, that we went open source. We said, you know, this NoSQL thing uh, is really our core competency. We're a bunch of distributed, system gu- uh, distributed systems guys. Um, the apps worked out okay. But we thought uh, NoSQL uh, was a much bigger opportunity. So we spent a couple months changing directions, getting React ready for open source. Uh, we released it in mid-August. I think, you know, today, uh, I don't remember the exact first release of React, but we're coming up on the six-month anniversary of its first open sourcing. So I think we've come an amazing, uh, uh, amazingly far since then. Um, uh, but again, it was initially an, an internal tool, um, uh, internal data store that uh, we uh, implemented uh, for the purposes of not having to be woken up at one in the morning. One anecdote that people like to tell at Basho is that uh, one day we had two nodes die at about 11 in the, af- uh, 11 in the evening, and the relevant people got on a call, and we knew the properties of our data store, and we said, you know what? Uh, we can leave this till the morning, and we went to sleep and fix it in the fix it the next day, which uh, which was really which really got you know our minds forward looking towards you know I think the future of this company is going to be uh, in the NoSQL space. I've recently discovered it, and it's a very cool project. Before we get too deep into it, we should introduce Sean and for the folks that are Rubius in the audience, I'm sure they know who you are, but Sean for. Uh, the other folks out there, why don't you introduce yourself and let us know how you came across React. Sure. Hi, I'm Sean Cribbs. Um, I've been a freelance uh, Ruby web developer since 2007. Uh, before that, uh, I worked for a small community college in Kansas City, um, also doing Ruby development there. Um, and uh, I got interested in React uh, after I heard it go open source. Um, one of my, my recent interests has been Erlang, and so I went to the 
uh, Erlang Factory conference last year. Um, in I guess it was end of April, and I met Justin Sheehy for the first time. Um, uh, Justin is the if, I don't know if Andy mentioned he's the CTO of Basho, and he was talking about Web Machine, uh, which is another one of Basho's uh, open source projects, but. Um, it, it turned out that uh, they released their, as Andy said, their uh, React in August. I was like, hmm, so this is what they're using WebMachine for. And um, and then I got to the chance to go to NoSQL East and, and talk to the whole team uh, a bit more about it. And I've been really interested in uh, the NoSQL movement uh, since I first heard about it because um, as most Ruby web developers discover with their uh, – active record projects that there are just certain edge cases uh, that make working with an SQL database really difficult. Um, times when you want to have uh, pieces of your data that are completely dependent on one another. Um, and when you get your database really big, that's, those are the two things that I, I find that people run into. Um, and um, so uh, I, in, in addition to just being kind of tangentially interested in, in React uh, for, for personal reasons, um, I got contracted in January, uh, started working on this contract in, or uh, arranging this contract in December, but uh, got contracted in January to build a Ruby library so the uh, client could move their Rails app off of MySQL onto React. So, you know, that's interesting, the, uh, the growing crowd of uh, NoSQL databases is just getting bigger every day. So is this a fad? Is this a trend? Is this a replacement for traditional relational uh, database architecture, or is it just a complement to that architecture? I think currently it's it's going to have to be complementary for the time being. Um, however, uh, unlike other types of databases that have been fads uh, or just ill-conceived, in my opinion, like XML databases, you've seen some of the seminal NoSQL projects arise out of necessity as internal projects at companies like, well, Basho, but also Facebook and LinkedIn with uh, Cassandra and Voldemort, respectively. And that indicates to me that, you know, if, if, if it was, if that's solving a real problem that people have. I don't think anyone ever asked for an XML database. But when you see companies actually implementing their own data stores that are so fundamentally different but so relevant to the problems that modern web apps face at scale, um, that's indicative of something that's not a fad and actually a a market need. So a question from Twitter already. Jake Don asks, uh, what makes React different from the other players in the space? Um. Yeah, I'll I'll try to condense it. Uh, Reoc is fundamentally distributed from the start. Uh, our philosophy on how we proceeded in developing it was to get the distributed systems fundamentals down uh, early. Uh, I've seen in other projects, uh, you know, shortcuts that have been taken with regard to you know proper distributed systems theory uh, made early on. And then they realize, then people realize there's a need to say implement vector clocks, uh, which are you know logical non-physical timestamps, and eliminate the need for all your servers to be perfectly time synced, 
And it's really hard to get that stuff, to, to retrofit that stuff onto a store, onto a data store that you've made compromises on with, uh, with regard to those things earlier. Um, so uh, React is fundamentally distributed. Uh, it works fine on a single node. It scales down excellent. We, uh, when we were developing applications, every developer on their MacBook had the entire stack running, including four React nodes uh, operating just as they would in production. Uh, it also scales up to hundreds of nodes just as easily. Um, so that's where I see uh, that's one of the primary key differentiators uh, of React. We we were very deliberate about getting the fundamentals right first. Uh, and, and more recently, we've been uh, tackling, now that we have that done, we've been tackling uh, making it uh, you know, easy to use and not something that's perceived as you know, a complicated, uh, you know, hard-to-use piece of software. Uh, and I think that was the right path to take because now I'm very confident in the in the core of React, and we can start uh, delivering features like uh, things that Sean has been working on, and some of the more recent features in the latest releases of React, like JavaScript-based MapReduce, and some of the other things in the pipeline that I'm sure we'll get to later. Could you talk for a moment about the language breakdown? What's the core technology? I understand. Uh, Erlang is at the center of this. So what's the, uh, the architecture? So React is mostly written in Erlang. Uh, I caught the Erlang bug uh, while I was working at Apple, working on, uh, you know, asynchronous, you know, high throughput, low latency systems, uh, trying to do that in twisted Python and then in C++ and uh, basically wanting to, uh, you know, scream because of that um the and and i was and bob ipolito who i i then went to work for at mochi media had turned me on to to erlang and it was it was you know just a, a dream come true for me to be able to work in that environment it's extremely powerful uh extremely proven and uh has been used and proven to provide uh uptimes greater than any uh, other, you know, measured uh, language or product out there. Um, so the the core distributed system, the the core React code is 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 mostly Erlang. Uh, we do have extensions. The storage layer, are, uh, we we have pluggable storage. Our preferred storage layer is InnoStore, which is another Basho open source project. That is uh, an Erlang uh, wrapper around uh, embedded in ODB. Uh, and our JavaScript support is uh, Mozilla's SpiderMonkey, which is uh, written in C. Uh, and we use Erlang's interfacing foreign function interface capabilities to, uh, to talk back and forth between uh, those subsystems. But the, the core is in, uh, is in Erlang. So I guess if you mention Erlang, JSON, REST, do you have people stop you right there? And do you have the, the uh, reaction to have to draw some sort of distinction to, to Couch at that point? Yeah, uh, I think Couch is a great project. And Couch really got, that, got out there early and uh, 
really got people aware of uh, NoSQL in general and just, you know, hey, there's a new way of doing this type of thing. Uh, I, I would say our primary, our primary difference with Couch is in uh, what I was talking about before is that we're – Couch is, um, you know, really at its core a single-node system. They support replication, but um, Couch databases are – um, you know, single node concepts. React uh, has the the node. React, even if you're running it on a single node, uh, the the lower level abstractions are dealing with consistent hashing and virtual nodes. And when you add a second node, um, uh, things don't change, and it's not you don't have to point your database at another node to replicate to. Uh, you just add a node, and the data distributes itself in the background. Uh, contrast this to sharding, which is, in my opinion, uh, you know, of all the things to bring forward from the uh, relational era, uh, one of the last things I'd choose to bring forward because uh, sharding is is fragile. When you're spreading your data around across uh, many machines, you you increase the you know just the mean time between failure of hardware. You're getting much, you know, you're getting yourself into a trap where it's much more likely you're going to lose a bunch of data. Um, React, on the other hand, does provides you with all the benefits of sharding without exposing both the operational pain of having to deal with a setup like that uh, and uh, you know its inherent fragility. Uh, React, you basically tell it, look, I want each piece of data to be replicated on this many nodes and react takes care of it um when you add nodes you add throughput you add uh storage capacity in a roughly uh linear fashion and and just as importantly without any oper- any additional operational pain like uh adding shards uh causes so the concepts of master slave really don't exist with react no, not at all. It's fundamentally uh, just distributed. No node is special in a React cluster. There's no central point of failure, nor is there a central point of sort of need for operational attention. Every node is homogenous. Uh, they're all the same. Uh, if they disappear, uh, your app's not going to go down. If a shard disappears, whatever range of data that shard has is going to go with it, and you better have had a backup of it. Um, with React, uh, just the sort of core distributed uh, functionality ensures that your data is going to remain available uh, when you add or remove nodes from a cluster. Yeah, that has interesting ramifications for peer-to-peer type applications. If you only need to know one node to connect to, it kind of changes things. Yeah, it's true. The, the, the calculation of where a, a piece of data should be written to or read from is uh, a function that can be executed strictly based on local data to any individual node. And this is consistent hashing. This is uh, the technology that Akamai really introduced uh, into the web caching world. Um, And we've applied it here to databases. Akamai never wanted to tackle the database problem, which is something that frustrated me while I worked there. Um, But consistent hashing uh, is – and sometimes – it, it, it's hard to, exp- uh, you know, the differences are subtle and there's nuances here. Uh, so sometimes I've explained consistent hashing as, you know, sort of dynamic 
optimal sharding or some combination of words like that. But what, what it really is, is uh, handling the, the problem of ensuring that you have replicas of data, uh, both replicas of data and um, spread of data, which is what sharding provides um, uh, at, a, at a much lower layer that isn't exposed to your application or to your operations personnel. You know, another powerful feature of REAC is the notion of link walking. And one of the better explanations I've seen is up in your blog, Sean, seancribs.com with two Bs. Um, why don't you give the folks a, an overview of link walking and, and why it's so powerful? Right. So um, every object that you store in REAC has a bunch of metadata associated with it. Um, and one of those pieces of metadata is... Uh, the links. So it, uh, there's an IETF uh, working draft, I believe, uh, or proposal about a HTTP header called link. And uh, basically, it kind of looks like uh, what you might see on a content type header or any of the other HTTP headers, except that it has a link to some other location and then various attributes that are attached to it. So um, REAC lets you make one-way associations to other pieces of data. Um, so let's say I had uh, my own, uh, we're building like a social network, a quintessential example, and um, I, my record in there has a link to Win and to Andy and to Adam. And then if I wanted to see who my friends are, say I tag that link with friend as the tag, um, I could just construct a URL um, and get at that URL, with, beginning with my user record and then the link spec, we call it, which is uh, better described on my blog than I can do um, in person uh, without a whiteboard. But uh, you would tell it, follow my, get my friends, and React will go out, find the user record, and then follow those links and return all of the people who are my friends, all the, all the records that, like that. So that's just fundamental different. Uh, way of handling, I guess, joints, what we call joints in the relational world, right? Right. Well, it's actually more useful to think of it like um, like a graph database, uh, which has nodes and edges. Um, or an, another analogy that I like to use is building, um, building data structures in C. With the data structures in C, you build like a struct, which has some pointers, and those uh, pointers point to other places in memory. This is uh, a bit more analogous to to the C um, way of building data structures and that it's just a pointer. Um, and you can follow that pointer uh, with very little cost. Another, I guess, fundamental difference between REAC and some of the other players is the way it handles MapReduce and the way that it expects uh, a set of keys to be passed into the map function before um, it's run. Uh, talk a little bit about that, Andy, and, and why that architecture and what makes that different and powerful. Um, yeah, it makes it powerful, and, it, and it, it's very deliberate the way we chose that. Uh, right now, we're not, we're not trying to compete to compete with Hadoop in terms of you know being a MapReduce engine. MapReduce here, we're trying to expose as a query me- mechanism, basically that you can have in the request loop of your application. Um, and Sean really led into this with the fact that the way uh, web applications are structured nowadays, you tend to start with a root object like a user, and you can fan out from there. 
uh, to their friends, their po- their blog posts, their comments, you know, what other whatever other sort of domain objects that you have. Um, and throughout the course of, uh, you know, a, uh, a web session, uh, you can, you'll know the keys ahead of time that you want to perform, uh, an operation on. And this is getting back a little bit to, uh, the consistent hashing stuff I was talking about before, uh, given a key and, uh, given a bucket and key in, in React, any node can determine, uh, what node that data lives on. So you can, we can farm out and distribute the computation and move basically the computation to the data uh, rather than having to move the data to where the function's executing. So it, it, it's quite efficient and therefore very suitable for actual, an actual um, query mechanism as opposed to, uh, you know, the Hadoop use case, which is typically, you know, offline log processing. I don't know of many apps with Hadoop uh, somehow integrated into the actual real-time request cycle of their applications. You know, I've been developing web applications, I guess, 10 years or so, maybe a little longer than that now. Uh, and something that strikes me, you know, the the queries are represented in JSON. And so, you know, early on in web development, we, we had server technologies and we found ourselves writing JavaScript to go against the DOM, but a lot of that JavaScript was dynamic and, and generated from server code. And so now we're, we're passing queries to a lot of these data stores, React uh, being one of them that uses JSON under the hood, where we express things like MapReduce inside of JavaScript functions inside of a JSON object that's passed back. But Sean, let me ask you, as a Rubyist, right? Um, right now, I'm sure that you're writing a lot of this JSON by hand as these libraries are are just starting to evolve, but you know, where do you see that going, and are we going back to straddling two languages to, to do one task? Well, um, I think that most, at least for most Rubyists, um, if they're doing uh, Rails or Merb or Sinatra apps, um, they're already familiar with JavaScript, um, and I think that there's uh, a great respect from, from Rubyists toward JavaScript and its, its capabilities. Um, there, there is that, that cognitive disconnect, but I think that web developers are the type of people who work in many domains at once anyway. Um, and having the MapReduce be in JavaScript, which is something familiar to most web developers, I think it's more of an advantage than a drawback. Just wanted to add a little bit to that, and then this kind of um, you know struck me too. I haven't been a web developer for most of my career. It was sort of I was a web developer back in the days where JavaScript was. Uh, sort of a hack to do browser detection and other things. And it's really turned into, you know, a nice sort of little language uh, that is able to express, you know, uh, these types of operations. And it also is, is you know, everybody kind of knows at least a little bit of JavaScript. Um, so it, it, it neatly... Uh, bypasses what can be a difficult choice of what dynamic language VM you choose to implement uh, in inside the core of your data store. Um, you know, you see Google App Engine, they're rolling out support for various languages, and I think they're leveraging the JVM and its support for compiling those uh, languages down to Java to a large degree. Uh, but I think uh, JavaScript is really... Um, you know, a net win. It's easy to learn. It's simple. 
Uh, it doesn't have a lot of real uh, rough edges, especially when you're dealing with it in a non-DOM, when you're not talking about the DOM manipulation aspects of it. Um, it it's expressive, it's clear, it's concise, um, and I think it's absolutely the right choice for uh, you know the fe- uh, the the React not produce feature that we're that we're talking about. Well, Sean, you mentioned the cognitive disconnect there. You know, uh, I'll ask the question that Adam's dying to ask, and uh, he wants to keep our streak alive about discussing Node.js on this this show. So, yeah, how does this play nice with with Node.js, and would it be easier just to keep everything in JavaScript? Well, um, it, it would play absolutely nicely with Node.js. In fact, uh, if if I remember right, there was a recent uh, client written for Node.js um, using Node.js's built-in HTTP. Um, for for React, um, and I just I think I saw that flying by in the GitHub feed the other day. Um, but on the other hand, um, you know, CouchDB has had this concept of a Couch app uh, for a while, which is basically you just store a bunch of JavaScript and and other files in CouchDB, and you can serve that out as an application because CouchDB has an HTTP uh, server in it. Well, it, there's honestly no reason why you couldn't do that with React too. Um, one of the advantages of the, the raw interface, which uh, is what uh, I've been writing my Ruby code against, um, is you can store any content type that you want in React. Um, so it basically acts like an HTTP server. And uh, there's also already in the uh, client libraries for React uh, that comes in the, the main distribution, a very basic uh, sort of jQuery-ish uh, client for React. Looks like we've got some questions rolling in on on Twitter. Adam, you wanna the, the Twitter, the Twitter, <laughs> as I call it. Yeah, I've done this entire yeah. podcast without saying one word. I was I was trying to get to like minute forty four, but we're like seven seconds away. So, well, normally you, you jump in so late. I feel like we have to introduce you. This is my co-host Adam. Yeah, hey, this is Adam. <laughs> well, there's 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 a few questions on Twitter, but I think I have a, a more pressing question, and it's kind of funny we got so far into the podcast and really haven't talked about it. But you know, sorry, tweets. We have this company called Basho that that was formed, and you know you guys have this product, but it's open source, it's commercial. How did that story come about? Like when the company formed, how did you initially like play in revenue and the formation, and was it all joined around this product? Uh, well, when the company formed, we were doing an entirely different business. We were actually writing uh, applications that that are relatively uninteresting in the context of this podcast. Uh, but we chose – we implemented React as a strictly internal project so we wouldn't have to deal with uh, you know, scaling issues later on. Um, but it was always a, a dream of mine uh, that, that one day we'd be able to, to you know, release React as open source. Um, and when NoSQL started to really gain steam – uh, we sort of, you know, weighed our options, and it looked, and we 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 ditched the app business, and we and we went, you know, we really just sort of uh, leaned into it uh, as far as the NoSQL stuff goes. Um, and Basho, as a corporate entity, uh, we are extremely devoted to open source. Uh, we have an enterprise product that provides things like. Uh, wide area, multi-master replication, enhanced SNMP monitoring, web UI tools, um, things that are valuable to enterprises. Uh, But 
we really try to err on the side of putting as much stuff in, uh, as much uh, value into the open source project as, as possible. So, you know, Basho as a company, uh, what I think uh, is nice about Basho is that, you know, as a customer of Basho, you, you know, A, you get access to our enterprise features. You get input and voting rights onto, into, you know, our product roadmap. Uh, NoSQL being relatively new and no deployment of NoSQL uh, at scale being, uh, the, uh, you know, the same. You get, you know, pretty, you know, basically direct access to the developer team. Uh, in terms of you know getting your implementation right from the from the ground up, um, and you know we uh, but primarily you know we are an open source software company. Uh, we have an enterprise product. You know we, obviously we have to um, make money, and we and we have very valuable enterprise features. But uh, we realize that uh, you know there are a few NoSQL or NoSQL like. Uh, databases that are closed source, and I just don't think that's viable. Um, the way that Basho is going to succeed is by being a responsible and uh, effective open source uh, company and and nurturing, uh, you know, a, a community. Uh, and we've already reaped uh, many rewards on that, and uh, you know, couldn't be more thrilled with the attention that React has gotten even only six months after its initial release, uh, there's already uh, a ton of community interest. Uh, community interest. We have I was going to ask you, what, uh, what's your user base like? Uh, we have, uh, you know, we have, we have customers. Um, I can talk about a couple of them, or I can talk about one of them at least without... I'm just curious, uh, like numbers-wise, like how many, do you know what your community is, like uh, actual usage, like both enterprise and open source? Yeah, uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, more uh, enterprise customers than you could count on your hands. I can say that. Uh, and we so have, level. yeah, and we, and. Uh, Just teasing you. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 a, and a really active and, and growing every day, you know, React users mailing list. And we, we try to be right out there on Twitter talking about stuff. Um we uh we have a couple uh deployments that are that are a pretty big deal mochi media uses us uh in a couple of uh really critical applications uh and 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 they get you know ton of traffic uh the one i'm most familiar with is uh all their session management is done through uh react and that's something that gets you know I don't know the exact numbers, so one I'm comfortable saying right now would be you know millions of uh, millions of hits a day, uh, hundreds hundreds of requests a second. Um, so uh, and 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 you know that's on sort of the startup side. We we've also gotten interest across the board. I mean, there's there's I've been surprised throughout this process how forward looking some companies you'd think would be uh, still stuck in the you know, Java, Hibernate, uh, uh, Oracle, uh, uh, realm of failure, uh, that are willing to actually embrace these technologies. Um, so we're in some trials with some pretty big names that we hope to announce soon. Um, 
but it's uh, it's it, it's really I feel it's taking off, and this is not just a Basho thing. I think this is great for the entire community, uh, and it, it's a, it's a young community, and I think that at this stage, you know, successes for any company uh, uh, are, are great for for everyone. You know, successes customer wise, successes funding wise. Uh, I'm always happy to see any company uh, in this area uh, succeed. Because I think it's important, and uh, I think it can can really change the shape of how people build applications, whether it's web startups or or, or big or you know big enterprises. Right. So, how does uh, my question I have is how does the um, the product being open source? Uh, how does that does it allow for greater adoption of the enterprise version? Is it do they play together or does it? Uh, how does yeah. the relationship between open source and enterprise kind of play out? So, I mean, the, the, the enterprise version is, is basically open source React with, with some add-on applications that, like I talked about before. Uh, the way we've gotten a lot of the customers we have currently uh, are people download the open source version, do a shootout with us versus Couch or Mongo or Cassandra or whatever, uh, and then approach us saying, hey, we like you. Let's try the enterprise bits now. I think without that open source component, uh, we'd be at a, a at a real loss and a strategic disadvantage um, uh, with respect to the whole market and the opportunities that are there. So, and and we try to err very strongly on the side of you know if there's a question about whether a feature should be held back or open source, my argument is always let's let's open source it. Um, uh, so, you know, we, we spent a lot of work on, on, uh, and this is largely Dave Smith's work. I, I would love to shout out every single Basho developer here cause they're an amazing team. Uh, the best team I've worked with across all the companies I've been at, but they're, it's, we're growing so fast that I couldn't name them all probably right now. Um, but, uh, uh, Dave Smith, Dizzyco on Twitter, uh, has done an amazing job of taking embedded in ODB, which, you know, has been proven, you know, if you think the LAMP stack has been successful, right, you know, that's, that's my sequel right there and, and, and to a large part in ODB. Uh, so we've taken in ODB and wrapped it up in Erlang and we use that as, uh, you know, pretty much our, our, our recommended store. There's uh, a relatively simple API for which anybody can write a backend for. If people have written backends that store React data in Redis, which I think is really cool. I'm, I'm a big fan of Redis. Um, uh, you could store it in S3. You have to implement you know, less than five uh, methods uh, to be a fully functional React backend. Um, so Open source is – I can't overstate how central it is to, uh, to both our you know, vision and, uh, and our success. Um, do you ever see it uh, – we're stumbling off the, off the vein here, but do you ever see the enterprise version kind of going away and you guys just sort of take over support for large implementations and maybe consulting and training and stuff like that and go straight open source or is it always going to have this – enterprise vein to the product that's a good question you know i'm 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 not the biz dev guy if you if you were to ask me my honest opinion on most of these questions i i default to open source but we have to make 
you know, we have to make money to keep uh, to keep putting great stuff into open source. The current plan is to continue with the enterprise uh, features. However, um, and I sometimes refer to this as the Sleepy Cat model. Sleepy Cat being the ones who who uh, wrote Berkeley DB and were later acquired by Oracle. And you know, version one of an enterprise feature will be a holdback for a little while. And then when we write version two, we put version one out in open source. And, you know, if we can't come up with something more compelling in, in a year, uh, then, then we failed. So, um, you know, while we do have things that are held back, the goal of, uh, is to gradually, you know, release those features back into the open source. Um, so, you know, we're, we're committed to open source. Well, you have to make money. I mean, I, I know that, uh, you guys are committed to open source, but you do have to make some money, but, uh, we have a couple more questions from our Twitter audience. And, sure. uh, first question comes from Bradford W and he wants to know about search and how uh, react is going to play in a search search. That that's, that's a great question. Search is a product, uh, that is in beta testing with a couple of customers. Collecta, um, is, is the one that we've announced. Um, we, uh, REAC, when you see people about, uh, you see, you see people talking about NoSQL and a phrase I've often seen thrown out is, oh, it would be awesome to throw a consistent hashing layer. And I'm using, uh, finger quotes there on top of this, you know, name your single node system here, Tokyo Tyrant, Redis or whatever, and it would perform awesome. Uh, it's it's hard to uh, – it, it's easy to uh, underestimate how much work writing that consistent hashing layer is. Um, and REAC, however, is basically a consistent hashing layer. Since we have pluggable storage backends and a bunch of other pluggable hooks in terms of how data is partitioned, REAC search is basically using REAC as a consistent hashing layer around – what I can best describe as, uh, you know, what solar is in a single node. So uh, the React search product is, uh, has the same properties of React in that you can add a node and the data gets spread across it. In the search case, you know, we're talking about search indices, gets spread across it, has the same basic scaling properties as React, uh, but provides... Uh, uh, a, a solar compatible uh, interface um, to that data, so it's uh, it's really just uh, you know take Reoc uh, in its current use as a key value store and and use that uh, to solve uh, a search problem, um, and uh, we're having great success with that. React Search is currently in limited beta. We're a growing company. Uh, we don't want to. Um, you know, over, we don't want to, uh, it's in beta because we don't want to, uh, release it and not be able to support people on it effectively. We, we are, we're very, uh, conscious of, uh, of what our, our capacity is and our support pipeline, but most of React search will be in the open source version of React. Uh, the enterprise holdbacks for React search, are probably probably going to be focused around API compatibility with existing search products like Lucene and Solar, and being able to import your Solar schemas uh, into React. Um, 
but that is another very exciting uh, internal project that that uh, will come out of beta soon. And I've seen people clamoring for it on Twitter, uh, and and it, it it will be out and uh, it will be huge. Speaking of clamoring on Twitter, this is one of the most active uh, talkback channels we've had on an episode. It must be the hour that we're recording it. Uh, a question for you, Sean. You mentioned earlier the different content types in React. And um, the uh, the question from Alexander Sicular is, and he draws a comparison to MongoDB's Bison and its 4 megabyte uh, max width. You know, how does React handle binary and are there any limitations on content size? Right now there's like, and this is uh, just from what I understand, a, a small limitation of um, the HTTP layer that's on top of, of the, the data store part of React, but um, there's a, a size limitation. However, um, there's no content type limitation. So React just, uh, Erlang has this concept of binaries, which are basically like bit strings. Um, and uh, once it gets into React, it just says, oh, okay, this is, you know, this is binary data, so I'm just going to ship it out into the cluster and replicate and do all those great things that React does. Um, so there's, no, there's really no restriction. You just have to specify the content type when you do the put or post request to React. Um, so, I mean, there's no reason why you couldn't store an image or an audio file or a video um, and you know, serve that out, uh, as part of your application or, uh, use it to, uh, you know, like a global file system. Yeah. It, it, it's really a minor limitation and, and just something we really have to get to. Uh, what I've actually been working on to address this is, uh, an abstraction, uh, between the web interface and the backend storage layer that represents a stream of data such that we don't have to accept an entire body. You know, obviously you're not going to fit a DVD in memory on your average computer, which is, you know, what a standard web server is going to want to do. Uh, it's not a, uh, a huge amount of work to expose a streaming storage abstraction such that you could upload, you know, via HTTP uh, and chunked encoding a, a very large binary and have us store it as an object. And, you know, it's something I expect we'll implement pretty soon now. Alexander also has a, uh, a follow-up question for uh, whomever wants to answer this one. Uh, can you save MapReduce output somewhere, and can you update output with Delta from the last execution? I, I could take that one. The um, y- you know you get the MapReduce output back as um, you know if you're doing it from the Erlang interface, uh, you get it back as Erlang terms. If you're doing it over HTTP, you get it back as JSON. And there's nothing stopping you from going and saving that back as another React object uh, to sort of cache that MapReduce execution. Uh, we also, at the you know low-level layer, you know for any given MapReduce function and a data and and that function's arguments, we assuming the function doesn't change, we cache those results. So if you're dealing dealing with stuff like time series data, you may run a relatively long-running query that that aggregates, say, an hour's worth of data. But then if you want to do another incremental MapReduce over that for the next minute's data, you're going to hit the cache for everything but that last minute. Um, so we do, we do caching of... Um, of MapReduce results, caching of MapReduce functions, um, and have 
plans in the pipeline for uh, making that cache even more uh, intelligent and useful. Uh, another thing that's related to this, and this is a, uh, a common dig against NoSQL DBs, especially the key value oriented ones, is uh, you essentially need to know the key uh, if you want to access the data. Uh, now that we have JavaScript uh, imp- uh, integration, what we're likely to add in the very near future is something along the lines of uh, GASP, you know, here's something from SQL land, uh, a trigger or stored procedure that basically says, you know, when you put an object into this bucket, run this JavaScript. And what that JavaScript function can do is essentially do uh, like what CouchDB does with incrementally updating views. Uh, but it can also do, you know, arbitrary computation, um, uh, besides that. So I think, uh, and this is, this comes back to one of my points about, you know, uh, making, you know, planning for success and having that be easy. Uh, people knock NoSQL value stores for lack of queryability, um, uh, especially the distributed ones, because that becomes a harder problem. Uh, we definitely plan on adding some sort of secondary indexing capability through uh, or implemented as uh, some sort of post-commit hook uh, that gets executed, uh, a JavaScript function that gets executed every time you put an object into a bucket. So you can have views that index adjacent document uh, Obviously, you can get it by its key and its ID, but you can you can uh, index it on a, a secondary property as well. And I, I might also add that um, because you're not you know you're not chained to the idea of an auto incrementing ID, um, you're not uh, chained to the idea of foreign keys. Um, you have the freedom to pick useful keys, um, as well as you know if you really really need that extra speed um, and that React's not providing, you can create your own kind of pseudo index in another bucket. Um, and this is one of the things uh, I'm considering in my Ruby code too, is that, you know, well, if you want to find something frequently by one aspect of that data, why not just store another object um, and link to the original uh, from that object and use, use the key that uh, has meaning. Yeah, and and we've used that in our own applications, in in bashful applications from our previous iteration, and in toy applications that I've wrote to great success. And on one hand, it might seem like, oh, wow, that's a pain. You have to maintain your own indexes, but it also gives you a great deal of flexibility as well. So it, it it's sort of two sided. And and while we do want to actually natively support, uh, you know retrieval based on uh, a key other than an object's ID, uh, there actually are some benefits and a lot of use cases where it makes sense to, uh, to essentially, you know, build your own index custom suited for your application and, and do that work uh, when you're pr- storing the, the primary objects, like you were saying, Sean. So, Sean, you're the same uh, Sean Cribs of Radiant CMS fame, right? That is correct. So how do you see these document stores changing the CMS landscape? If there ever was a use case for deep, um, you know, schema-less stores, I would think CMS would be it. Yes, and actually um, that's part of what drew me to it. Um, uh, I had done as a proof of concept a converting of Radiance model layer over to MongoDB and really enjoyed the benefits um, 
of what it provided. Uh, but on the other hand, um, I was also thinking about, uh, you know, maybe moving this into kind of a multi-tenant type thing. And um, then I got into the idea of, oh, well, gosh, I'm going to have to build multiple databases to keep my customers or uh, the multiple sites uh, separate. Um, and then I, I, it really just would, would have been a, a management nightmare. So uh, when I saw the idea of links, um, which, which is really what drew me back to React after, after I was using Mongo, um, I thought, well, that's, this is completely natural. Um, you know, I can, I can take, um, I can go ahead and put the individual parts of each page into the page object. That makes a lot more sense than having it linked to be another table. Um, but then I can, um, you know, have my users go across all the different sites. Um, you know, maybe you have, maybe you're an editor on this site and you own this site and you pay for this site or you, um, you know, or you're just, a a reviewer on this site. Um, so that there's, there's a lot of possibilities definitely for CMS um, simply because the problem of a content management system is one of semi-structured data um, and definitely sparsely populated semi-structured data. So, so we heard that you have a Ruby driver coming out. Do you want to kind of mention that real quick? Sure. Um, I'm releasing it tonight. Um, it's going to be called Ripple. Um, and I might uh, interject a little bit of the story behind that name, um, and, and Andy's chuckling there. Um, actually, Riak um, is an Indonesian word meaning ripple. So uh, when we were trying to decide the name of it, I started off with Riak client, but it's you know very uh, vanilla. Um, ripple, I think, is uh, really nice because um, it describes also kind of the idea of how Riak works. So um, this will be released tonight. Um, it's going to be on uh, Gem Cutter. Uh, it's going to be Ruby Gem. Uh, it'll be on GitHub, GitHub.com slash Sean Cribs slash Ripple. And um, I'm going to encourage people to fork it. Um, so what it has in it is a very uh, robust Ruby client driver um, that gives you all the basics of working with React, um, including things like knowing what types of HTTP responses React will return on different requests. Um, and I try to take to, those into account. And so you get a pretty, uh, pretty rich layer that includes the ability to manipulate buckets and um, insert and retrieve and delete and reload objects that you have uh, in your application. And also um, it's, not entirely complete, but uh, I'm going to go with the release early, release often on this. And um, there's also a, a modeling layer, which is uh, has a lot of similarities to Mongo Mapper. Um, and uh, I have to give uh, John Noonmaker props on Mongo Mapper. It's a great library. And I took a lot of inspiration from that. So um, it's actually the, the probably the most interesting thing about the modeling layer is that it's... Uh, Rails 3 only. So um, it uses the active model library um, to provide a lot of the more complicated things that you'd expect out of that type of library. And if you're new to to MongoDB and didn't catch uh, episode, I believe it was 011, where uh, we interviewed John about Mongo Mapper. You can get all the the details of that. But we're at the part of the show, if you guys have uh, tuned in and 
hung around to the end of the show, you know that uh, we're to the segment where we ask you what's on your open source radar. So, Andy, you're up first. What gets you excited in the world of open source other than what's going on at Basho? Uh, other than what's going on at Basho, um, Node.js is, is highly interesting to me. Uh, I think there's uh, – uh, I mean, I think I'm not unique uh, in being interested in that. Uh, I think it's you're going to see a lot more stuff based on Node.js. I'm excited about some of the work the community is doing on uh, native uh, Node.js support uh, for React. Um, and I've been, uh, you know, I uh, admittedly am not a, a Ruby person, actually. Uh, and I've just been really impressed by ever since we've started to um, improve our support for Ruby, uh, the level of attention and the level of interest uh, and the, the the great uh, feedback that I've had uh, with with members of the Ruby community that I haven't known before. Um, so, you know, in general terms, I'm just looking for. Uh, I'm very excited for. Um, you know what's to come, both in Sean's work and and other people's work, with regard to uh, Ruby. Uh, integration and, and, and working with React. I'm also really excited about um, projects like RabbitMQ and, and AQ, AMQP in general. Um, I think React and, and Rabbit make great sense, and we've actually talked quite a bit with people about integrating them further, whether that's providing an AMQP uh, interface to React or uh, using React as a backend for persistent um, AMQP storage, um, and uh, you know that's really it. I I, I should be uh, you know more attentive to projects that are going out right now, but I have such a full plate uh, that you know just you know no SQL stuff in general. Um, and I, I'm looking forward actually having spent uh, many years. You know I enjoy Erlang, but professionally before that I was uh, tied to. Uh, C++ and other languages that uh, that I'd, I'd like to forget and uh, reuse those neurons for learning uh, learning more uh, learning more Ruby stuff. So uh, it's been a real eye opening experience, uh, you know, having this role in this project and being to engage, uh, being able to engage with uh, these various communities, in particular uh, um, Ruby. How about you, Sean? Well. Uh, I've been doing a lot of JavaScript lately, uh, jQuery uh, front-end stuff. That's uh, always on my mind. Um, I like uh, working with and building beautiful interfaces that work well. Um, so um, I'm always on the lookout for new jQuery uh, plugins, and I was really pleased to see uh, 1.4 came out uh, just a couple weeks ago. Um, also on on my mind a lot, probably because of who I've been working with, but um, there's a big resurgence of, of Lisp and Scheme variants lately, um, and uh, particularly Clojure uh, is a, is the big juggernaut in this space right now. But also, um, there's has some smaller friends like uh, LFE, which is a Lisp flavored Erlang, so you can write Lisp for your Erlang applications. Um, and also, uh, Gambit Scheme uh, has uh, been looking pretty cool. So I'm I'm going to try to get into some Lisp this year, uh, in addition to doing more Erlang and, and, uh, and JavaScript. 
Yeah, talking about uh, languages in general, uh, besides projects, uh, I would really love to have the time to explore Clojure some more uh, and explore Haskell some more. Every time I try to learn Haskell, I end up feeling stupid, but I think uh, if I actually gave it uh, the old college try, I could really kind of wrap my head around it and, and be a better programmer as a result. It's so funny to hear you guys mention uh, Node.js because um, it's like, I don't know, what, like nine shows in a row in? Right. Something like that. But uh, Andy, Sean, it's, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's, uh, it's been great having you guys. It's, uh, Andy, it's great to see Basho step up and scratch their own itch and um, you know, give back to the community, even uh, at the measures you have. It's such an exciting time for the NoSQL uh, ecosystem and community. But uh, how can people reach out to both of you guys uh, via Twitter or email or uh, I'll go first. I'm uh, I'm uh, at argv0, A-R-G-V-0-A-R-G are my initials, and argv0 is uh, C for uh, the name of the program that is being executed. Awesome. I thought it, I thought it was clever and meta back in 99, and it stuck. <laughs> um, so you can reach me. Twitter is usually you know my primary medium these days, but uh, if you want to catch me on email, I'm either Andy at Basho.com, or you can always reach me on the React users uh, mailing list. And I'm Sean Cribbs on Twitter, um, just S-E-A-N-C-R-I-B-B-S. That's the um, easy can, one. Yeah, that's the easy one. Very <laughs> vanilla, right? Um, <laughs> but it's memorable, so I, I like to, to use so that. So clever. Um, and also, um, Andy isn't on there as often, but I, I'm frequently on uh, Freenode IRC. Um, so I hang out in the Radiant CMS and the Erlang OTP and also recently the Reoc channel. So... Um, if you want to get get me live, that's where to find me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I try to be in the React channel as much as possible as well, too, so you can catch me there live also. Anyone out there, if you're listening, if you didn't catch out to spell Andy's uh, Twitter handle, just check the uh, Changelog Show Twitter threads, and you'll see, you'll yeah. see some corresponding. Uh, and both of these guys are on uh, the Changelog Show uh, guest list. It's Changelog Show forward slash guests yeah. on Twitter. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks again for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure having you, and enjoy your evening. It's been great. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Changelog. Point your browser to tail.thechangelog.com to find out what's going on right now in open source. Also, be sure to head to github.com forward slash explore to catch up on trending and feature repos, as well as the latest episodes of The Changelog. Log.